Hi there, this is Bob Eubanks, and you're listening to Fab Four Free For All. But doesn't everybody? I'm Tony Chiguardo, with you every week on this Beatles and Beatles-related show. I am being joined right now by my two good friends and uh, co-hosts and uh, co-creators of Fab Four Free For All, recording a live episode right now as uh, part of 4F and part of Beatle Tracks. And we are joined by a very, very special guest. And I'm going to hand the reins over to Mitch Axrod as we are joined by Louise Harrison by phone. Hello, Louise. Hello. How are you all doing? We're doing fine, Louise. How are you? I'm fine, too. We are doing great. So, Louise, it's Mitch. Um, We have spoken before, and I wanted to have you on again because you have a brand-new book out uh, called My Kid Brother's Band, a.k.a. The Beatles. And it's... uh, Yeah. on Acclaim Press, I, you should get it because it's really good. But I wanted to start off uh, by it's asking you... Barnes, it's at the Barnes & Noble stores, I believe. Oh, Barnes & Noble, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If there are any physical bookstores anymore. Makes a great Christmas gift. <laughs> hint, hint. Makes a great Christmas gift. There hint, we go. Hint, Just getting yes. out of the little subliminal messaging the, there. <laughs> yeah, it's the only book I've ever written, and it's the only book I ever intend to write, so that's it. <laughs> well, it, and it's really good. So let's before we even get into the book, I mean, something yeah. something that's in the book that really struck me, you have to explain the whole Harrison hug. I really enjoyed oh. that, and I think it, it it really struck a chord with me, no pun intended. So talk about the Harrison hug a little bit. Well, uh, the actual phrase used, that I was using started back uh, just a, maybe a couple of years before George uh, passed on. And uh, one of the times when I met him again, which we always used to give each other a hug, and this uh, one time when I, when he hugged me, he looked at me, you know, very intently, and he says, "Pass it on." And so after he died, I decided that's a good thing to do. And so whenever I would be with people, <clears throat> people, people, I would uh, give them a hug, and I would say, "This has come from George, and he wants you to pass it on. He wants us all to pass it on." <clears throat> well, out of that grew. Uh, sort of a movement because I got uh, an email one time from somebody in Argentina and uh, she said, I got a, a, a Harrison hug for my birthday for somebody who you had given the hug to in Cleveland in 2002. Wow. And I yeah. go, wow, you know, <laughs> that, that hug certainly went a long way. And then I had a text a few, just a matter of months ago from somebody who said, I have now given my Harrison hug to people in 17 different countries. So I thought, you know, this is wonderful that George's hug is circulating around the world and people are passing it on to each other. And so, you know, I got thinking about that. And then as I was writing the book, it occurred to me, you know, there was nothing really new about the Harrison hug because it was something that all four of us kids were enveloped in for for our entire lives because, uh, you know, mum and dad had that love and the hug and all of that kind of thing, and we all always felt so very, very secure. Well, you know, it's uh, it's funny you should say that because I wanted you to talk about your upbringing, you know, and with mom and dad Harrison because they also, they had a saying which was very similar to what Paul took for uh, Abbey Road. You know, the more love you give, the more you will receive. Exactly, yeah. So talk and about your mom found, Yeah, mom found that out when she started answering all thousands and thousands of letters from Beatle fans. <laughs> and of course, they started doing that in England before I got to it, because I had moved to this country in 1963 to the United States. And so when... Uh, <clears throat> When she called me one time early in 1963, she started sending me the, uh, the you know, the guy's singles. And uh, <clears throat> once she called me, she said, "You know, um, this this band is really, really good." And Mum was the kind of person who, you know, if her son was in a band and they were just having fun and they were okay, she would have said so. Hmm. But she said to me, "They are absolutely incredible," and. The way she said it to me, I realized that 
she would not have said it like that if there wasn't something special about them. And so I started taking their singles around to the radio stations. But again, one of the things that she said to me from all of the letters that she was writing to people was that very phrase about, you know, she was giving the love back and she said it was very, very important for us as the family of those four boys to give back the love. And then she said, but the thing is, that the more love you give, the more you will receive. Louise, why did you wait so long to write this book? I mean, this obviously the <laughs> well, story. Well, I never been wanted to write a book. I had no no intentions. In fact, I used to joke years ago. There's so many people writing stories about the Beatles who've never even met them, or maybe were in an elevator with them for two minutes <laughs> or something. You know, <laughs> and I said maybe I will write a little brochure telling you which books are a bunch of trash. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but many, you know, over all the years, people keep saying to me, well, you know, you have such a totally different perspective than anybody else because you actually knew George before he was even born, you know, or at least as soon as he was born. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they said, your, you know, your interaction has got to be totally different than anybody else's. And so finally, after people keep saying, isn't it about time you wrote a book? And so finally I thought, oh, well. And then the guys in my band, I have a band called Liverpool Legends. We've been playing all around the place. And yeah, in, we'll get uh, to them. It, yeah. Well, they said to me, that, you know, because I'd been talking about the different incidents in my life while we were, to, you know, playing together and working together. And so... So one of them said to me one time, you know, nobody knows about all the stuff that you did back in the early 60s to help them, you know, help the manager know what to do to get them into the United States. And I said, no, that's right. And they said, well, you know, before you leave the planet, maybe you ought to tell somebody. And I said, well, you know, nobody would be interested. And they laughed and they said, of course people would be interested. I said, well, I wasn't doing it to, you know, to interest people. I was doing it to try to help my kid brother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Frida, we, uh, I'm asking you, we're about to ask you about Frida. Louise, have you uh, met Frida Kelly yet, who just did the uh, good old Frida film and had been involved in the. <laughs> no, uh, but I, I've known about her, you know, all, you know, ever since she started working for them, you know, and she became secretary of the fan club. Right. And of course, right. my mom and dad used to, um, you know, interact with her quite a lot. <clears throat> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've known about her for a long time. In fact, you know, recently there were some people who have seen her, the, the, is it a movie or a documentary or whatever? Yeah, about, about sure. And they've been, they've been talking to me and saying, you know, um, they've, they've done quite a nice little thing about Freed, about the secretary of the fan club. Um, how would you feel about us doing a documentary about you? And I said, gee, you know, why? Why would anybody want a documentary about me? Mm. Anyway, there's people are wanting to talk to me about it. So you never know. There might be one about me one of these days. Very nice. In the If, if you haven't heard this, in, in good old Frida, uh, Frida is wonderfully loving and respectful toward uh, the members of, of the family, of the Harrison family. And, yeah, uh, well, that's, that's the thing, you know. She would not have been... Uh, kept, you know, as the secretary for so long, had she not had the same integrity that my mum and dad had. Indeed. And, and uh, now, talking of integrity, too, and we're talking about your book, which is wonderful and, and has such unique insight, um, you've obviously over the years spoken to, to other folks who have been writing books over time. Are there any of the books? I mean, we joked about saying, you know, making the list of the ones that were terrible. <laughs> but are, are there a few that stand out for you that are actually, you know, wow, this is a fine other book to look at, you know, for the, the Beatles history and, and George's history? Uh, well, I mean, mine was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one indeed, yes. <laughs> You're a little biased. Straight on that, from the dark horse's mouth, indeed, on that one. <laughs> well, you know, well, actually, you... uh, th there were so many of them that were just a bunch of garbage, you know. They, I don't know what they smoked when they sat in the corner and put the book together. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you said uh, you, you said something funny. You said that uh, you knew George before he was born, but yeah. uh, and we, you know, in the in the book, you kid around about it, and you you pretty much say that you thought George was going to be your sister. 
Yeah, because I already had two brothers. And it was funny because at school I was the only girl that didn't have a, a sister. And so uh, I thought, you know, all of the other kids, it was a Catholic, um, you know, Irish Catholic neighborhood. And everybody had kids, you know, kids every, popping them out every 10 minutes. And uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't understand why, why anybody would want them because I thought they were pretty nasty, smelly things, you know. But anyway, uh, I, I said to my mom one day, why don't I have a sister? And she said, because if the others had been girls, I would have sent them back. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. So you never secretly tied to try a little tie little pink bows around George just to sort of oh you heavens know. no oh golly no 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 uh, no, when he was born, like he that. said, don't bother me. Don't bother me, he said, right. <laughs> yeah. Louise, uh, along the way, yeah. Um, yeah, you worked in radio also, uh, like us. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. How, how did that start? And when you were doing those reports on the Beatles, um, obviously you're, you're not going to give too much away. But wh- how, how did you approach those reports um, as George's sister and also knowing the, the rest of the band also? Well, it, it happened all very, very accidentally because when they came to do the Ed Sullivan show, uh, George invited me to come and hang out with them. So I was with them, you know, that whole week. And one of the things that happened was we were invited to the British Ambassador's residence in in Washington before we did the show at the Coliseum. And one of the things that happened, it was a charity ball, and the Beatles were asked to pull out the prize, you know, to put the raffle tickets or whatever to pull out prizes for this charity that they were, you know, we were asked to appear for. Anyway, what happened was I was sitting at the back of the room with Lady Ormsby Gore, the wife of the ambassador, and all of a sudden Ringo comes storming up to us and he says to the lady, he said, do you think you could get me the limo? I want to go back to the hotel. And so she said, what's wrong? And he said, look at this. And he turned his head around and it was a great big chunk had been cut out of his hair. And, uh, yeah, somebody had come with a pair of scissors and got behind him and, you know, took this great chunk of his hair. And so he was really very upset. And Lady Ormsby Gore got, got the limousine, you know, and sent we got him back to the hotel. Anyway, the thing that happened was, <clears throat> when I got back to Illinois, I was listening to the radio, and uh, the one of the radio stations that I'd been bugging to try to play their records, and uh, there's this news report comes out about how the the wife of the British ambassador had rattled Ringo to the ground and cut a chunk of his hair off. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, this is terrible, this wonderful, dignified lady being made such a fool of in the press. So I called the radio station, and as it happened, of course, the guy... Um, <clears throat> Uh, Bud Connell, his name was. Uh, I'd been bugging him for months to play the Beatle records. And so when I called him up, he knew who I was. And uh, he said, oh, I'm you know, so sorry. So he said, well, would you come on the air and correct that? And I said, no, I was too shy. You know, I said, no, but would you please correct that? Because that's really, you know, terrible uh, thing to be t- saying about this lovely lady. So anyway, they went on the air and corrected the uh, news report. And they sent it out on the wire service so that it was correct throughout the country and then a few days later Bud called me and he says you know um, there's so much interest in these guys because this was in February so much interest in these guys now and there's so many crazy stories being told about them and you'd be in a position to know what's right and what's what you know what's true and what isn't would you consider writing uh, you know giving us some Beatle reports and so I thought, well, gee, I don't, I don't know. I've never done anything like that in my life. So they asked me to give it a try. And that same day, George, they were in um, Miami for that weekend. And uh, I was speaking with George, and I said I'd been asked to, to, you know, to give reports about you and said, you know, to tell what's really happening as opposed to the, all the nonsense that's going on. And they were, you know, even after this one week in the United States, they were getting a bit uh, frazzled about all the nonsense it was being told. And so he said, oh, okay, yeah. He said, well, today we went water skiing on some millionaire's yacht and so that kind of thing. So they arranged for me to call home every week and, uh, you know, get some information from mom. And I also subscribed to the New Musical Express, which was uh, one of the um, 
you know, newspapers. Back in back in those days, the, the newspapers in England were very, very, um, you know, very much to the truth and to the what was really happening. They weren't into scandal and all that kind of thing. <clears throat> and I also I was getting the Beatle monthly book as well. So, you know, I was getting this information and I started putting these reports together and uh, they, you know, they took off and everybody seemed to like them. <clears throat> now, Louise, one more question. Um, I, I, did you ever save any of these reports? The only reason I ask is there's a lot of saved stuff in the book, you know, memos and letters that you've written. Did you ever save any of these reports? Because I'd love to hear what they sounded like. No, you no. know, that's, that's such a shame. A few years ago, somebody said to me, uh, you know, well, I keep meeting people who say, oh, when I was a kid, I used to run home from school to listen to your reports. You know, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody like that. And I did try, in fact, Bud Cannell and I both tried to see if we could find, uh, you know, any, what would you say, remnants of them. But you see, what used to happen, I used to call into the engineering department at the radio station, and they would just tape I would do 10 reports, 10 60-second reports each week, which they would play, you know, two each day, Monday through Friday. And uh, they would put it onto some kind of a big coil thing. And then when I would call in the next week, they would take this magnet and erase the coil, oh. or whatever okay. it was, oh. and then record over it. So nobody ever thought to save them. Wow. Well, we'll put out the word on our show. You know, yeah, really, you, you never uh, know. <laughs> you had... You know, you mentioned, uh, obviously, the Sullivan Show, and that was very big. But a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people know about it, but a lot of people don't know really what went on uh, when George came to visit you in Illinois. Um, There's so many fun stories in the book uh, you mentioned, and I would like you to get to a couple of them if you can, you know, Gabe McCarty and the Four Vests. And as well, there was also a great story about C.J. Paris and the wallet incident. So I'd like you to just give a little bit background on those yeah well um when when george came, came to visit me actually it was uh, halfway through the year you see i'd been running around to radio stations for months and months trying to get their records played as as mum was sending them to me you know like love me do please please me from me to you uh she loves you and all of those <clears throat> and so when george came over she loves you had just come out and he brought that with him but I had been going around to the radio stations trying to get them played. And, you know, it's kind of strange because just recently I was watching some kind of a... Oh, it was the uh, on CNN, the 60s, the series that they had called the 60s. And there was a guy on there talking about, you know, one of the commentators, one of the people that know all about the Beatles, you know. And this guy was talking about how um, a DJ in Washington had one of his listeners had called in and said, talked to him about the Beatles, and he got the Beatles record. Carol James. And he, and yeah, yeah. I met him, and he was up there up in New York, and uh, they were saying about how he was the first one to play it in the United States. Well, I knew, of course, that uh, he wasn't, and because <laughs> there'd been somebody in uh, Illinois, Marcia Schaefer, had played uh, the records on her afternoon show, Saturday afternoon show, and George had actually gone to meet her and thank her for playing his record. But I never said anything there at that time because, you know, I didn't want to rain on Carol James's uh, parade because he was all being fated and, you know, lauded and everybody bowing down to him because he was the first <laughs> one to play a big record. <laughs> so I didn't want to spoil his fun, so I didn't say anything about it. But there again, you know, more recently, the people in my band keep saying, why don't you say what you did instead of letting everybody else take the credit? <laughs> yeah, that, that is a good point. That is a good point. Family are always the last ones to get yeah. credit. It of never course. fails. Families are always <laughs> the last to get the credit. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. I wasn't doing it to get credit. Of you know, course I not. Help my kid brother. Right, right. Support baby brother. Absolutely. Yeah, well, again, the, the, the whole concept of George coming here he was the first Beatle to play live in the States, you know, again, yes, with, with the with four vests. Vest. Yeah, he, yep. you, as you said, I'm not going to give the story away, but he could have been a fifth vest. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and most people don't even know, Louise, that, you know, it was George and your brother Pete that came to the USA, but it was supposed That's to be right. George and Ringo. What happened? 
Yeah. Well, when I wrote to, to George, when George wrote and said, you know, that uh, he was going to come and visit me because he'd never met his uh, his niece and his nephew, my two children. And so uh, when he said he was coming, I renewed my efforts going around the radio stations and TV stations. And I actually went, found a TV station down in southern Illinois who the guy, Jim Cox, agreed to have them on his show. And so I wrote to George and I said, well, I've got a TV date for you. And the letter comes back from George saying, uh, Ringo says, if you're going to make us work, he's not coming. <laughs> <laughs> and then talk about C.J. Paris, because that is some story. Oh, yeah. That was a lovely story. Uh, uh, we were, uh, I guess we'd been camping. We came back into town and uh, went to the local, we walked around to the you know the town square and other whatever it's called and so we went into a grocery store and george had heard about um, <clears throat> pardon me he'd heard about t-bone steaks which hmm. is something you don't get in england you know and so he was saying uh, let's get some of those t-bone steaks because we had a barbecue and we were going to have some dinner you know so we, we went to the store picked up the steaks and he reaches into his back pocket and he says let me get this for you and uh, his wallet was gone and he said oh my god you know i had all my money in there and i was wanting to buy a guitar so he goes running back up to the square and luck would have it that this uh, tj paris had been up in the window of one of the stores and a second floor window and he'd been watching the group of us walking around the square and george was filming he had a little what was it, 8 millimeter or 16 millimeter, the first kind of movie camera that ever came out. And he was filming things. And so uh, CJ was watching us, and he saw the wallet fall out of George's pocket. And so he sent a friend of his to pick up the wallet and follow us and, you know, give it back to the guy with the long hair. You know? oh, and man. so as George was heading back to the square, this uh, other youngster was running to, you know, to find him and gave him back his money. So uh, he had, I think, about $400, and he bought a guitar with wow. it. Which That's apparently nice... recently that, that guitar sold for $600,000. Yikes! Well, yeah, but and what about C.J. Paris? He, he ended up with something oh, yeah, so, as well. Yeah, well, of course, George gave him a, a you know, a few dollars, I don't know, $10 or something like that. And so uh, when I went to New York to, you know, to do the Ed Sullivan show, well, I didn't do it, but to be with them for that, um, I got a nice um, album for, you know, for uh, TJ oh. and had George sign it for him. Wow. And, uh, you know, was able to give, give that to him as well. So is CJ still around? <laughs> I don't know. I've lost touch with most of the people that were there in... Yeah. Uh, in Illinois at that time. Although well, last September we did have a big ceremony where they put a uh, historical marker in that square to um, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of George's visit. Wow. wow. Well, that's, so that's, if people want to go through Benton, Illinois, in the southern part of Illinois, they can read this big long marker and they've got all the whole story about when he was there. And it's uh, set up in the square, historical for them historical society beautiful we'll send the feelers out on the social network and try to find him <laughs> so we are going to just take a quick break while we take care of some business here on sure. fab four for the show you bet yes. and uh, we will be back in just a few moments with louise harrison and this okay, is okay. fab four free for all and beetle tracks hi everyone just wanted to let you know that besides Fab Four Free For All, each of the three of us are involved in our own individual projects. Mitch Axelrod's two books, Beetle Tunes, the only book about the cartoon Beetle show, and Little Billy and Baseball Bob can be found through all of your good booksellers online, including Amazon.com, or if you'd like autographed copies, contact Mitch on Facebook. And my buddy Rob Leonard has a great Beetle show that he's been doing for 20 years called Beetle Songs. And it's on every Friday night from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can listen to it online. It's streaming at www.ncc.edu slash WHPC. And also look for it on TuneIn.com. And Tony Truquardo is the host of 4F, free format for free, on WCWP 88.1 on Long Island. He's on every Monday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. and also at www.wcwp.org. 
Also available on TuneIn.com. WCWP is where you are tuned. The show is Beetle Tracks. And on this edition, a very special edition, uh, I've turned the uh, chaos over to Fab Four Free For All. And uh, we are joined on this episode by my friend Rob Leonard. Hey, how are we doing? And Mitch Axelrod. How are you doing, everybody? And on the phone uh, with us is Louise Harrison. And we rejoin our talk with Louise about, about her book. About called her book. Go ahead. My Kid Brothers Band, <laughs> AKA The Beatles. Uh, on Acclaim Press, you can find it at Barnes and Noble and on the internet. So, Louise, we we want to get back, and there to, will be a link on uh, our website, of yes, course, to get the book. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, Louise, we want to talk a little bit about. Uh, I mean, obviously, you, you know, your brother, uh, guitar player, singer, but Tony, you had a, you wanted to ask a question. Yeah, you know, Louise, I know that uh, obviously the family was supportive of of the Beatles and and hearing the guys play and. But what was the reaction when little brother, you know, he went from being this performer to suddenly becoming a songwriter? How did that sort of, you know, uh, get you when you started hearing George's original compositions? Well, I don't know. We never were surprised about anything that happened. Um, I think that's probably one of the things from growing up in Liverpool during World War II is uh, you have to take things as they come and <laughs> do the best you can with them, you know. Right. So uh, we were, you know, we, we never uh, were startled or surprised. You know, they're all saying about England, about stay calm and carry on. <laughs> so <laughs> just, just because he was a singer and he started writing songs, well, why not, you know? Right, we just, right. Uh, took everything for granted. We never, even to this day, when people talk about, wow, you know, they're icons and they're this and that, and I say, no, they weren't. They were just my kid brother's band, you know. <laughs> Unique perspective once again. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I, I gave, um, I saw Paul a few weeks ago in uh, San Diego, and he had, uh, what, 65,000 people at the show, and I got a chance to have a chat with him, and I gave him one of my books, and he looked at the title and he says, your kid brother's band. <laughs> <laughs> back, back to that idea again, perspective. Yeah. It's all about perspective. I like yours. I'm, sh I'm sure that that gave Paul a smile, absolutely. L Louise, oh, yeah, yeah. Louise yeah. you mentioned before about uh, being Irish Catholic. Um, how did you feel when uh, George, um, I, I guess, I don't know if he rejected uh, his religion he, I guess, grew up with and and went more towards an Indian thing. What did you think about it? What did the rest of the family think about it? Well, you know, we were not, um, although I, I was, you know, went to, to school, to um, church and to school and everything as a little kid, uh, I don't stick with it. Uh, to me, what the, a lot of the stuff that George discovered in in the, uh, you know, after he met Ravi were things that my dad was talking about right from when we were little kids about saying that, um, you know, that we never talked specifically about that Jesus was it. It was that uh, there was a creator. And my dad said that the creator is like the ocean, and we are all little drops of the creator. And we all have a little drop of the creator in Th us. So that sounds very George. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah very well, that's much the kind so. of thing that my dad used to talk. You know, that's how he explained it to us when we were little kids. Oh, wow. Which is which must have been beautiful for your dad then to be around in the 74 tour yeah. uh, and to you know I'm sure your did your did your father get to know Ravi as well? I think so, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. And, that and so did I, yeah, so did I. Um, but you know the the thing was that it was more a question of George recognizing in that that spiritual aspect of their, you know, of Ravi's religion, the things that Dad had always told us, you know, that it's not a question of you've got to, uh, what was the word? <laughs> Convert the word or yeah. you've got to adore somebody and worship somebody. Dad, we, we were never into this worship thing, but we were into accepting the fact that the, there was a little drop of God within us, and that's what made us tick. Wow, well. you know. It's it, the drop of God that's the life force within us. And it's... it's and so, it, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry, Louise, go ahead. 
That's okay. Uh, you know, it's just something that is within us. You don't have to worship it, but you've got to be aware of it and be thankful for whatever gifts it brings with it uh, in your life, you know. It's just so beautiful because Ravi always considered your brother to be his family. And mm. it's interesting because the way it sounds, it sounds as really as though the, the whole Harrison family was raised with very, as you were saying, similar values to that which Ravi was speaking of and was, you know, Ravi's faith followed the yeah. same kind of path. So it's quite lovely yeah. that the, the two got together. It, it's interesting. Uh, two songs um, just came into my mind speaking about George's belief. Uh, P2 Vatican Blues uh, mm. and also Horse to the Water where he he doesn't knock God but he knocks the rules about God. Right. And, yeah, the religion, yeah. And, yeah. and P2 Vatican Blues he just is having a fun a fun <laughs> yeah. song a about fun little well, you know, when, about religion. Yeah, I when you say. stop and think about it if everybody would realize that uh, you know there's a, a little drop of God within all of us and it's the same God yeah. we wouldn't we'd be able to eliminate all these holy wars you know. You bet. Yeah, Absolutely. It's one of the worst things that's ever happened to the world is everybody thinking that their own God is a difference to everybody else's and that their God is the best one, you know. Yeah, it's amazing if we all just, you know, looked at each other as just people yeah. without yeah. without the other yeah. walls or that are holding us Yeah, back. seeing the God within yeah. each other. But, Absolutely. you know, yeah. um, you know like, like as George said when he first tried to illustrate to and and my dad too about this ocean, that if you could imagine that uh, the Creator is an ocean and that we are just individual drops of it. And actually, I used that theme when I started an environmental organization back in the 90s. I figured that because of my <clears throat> uh, relationship to George and the Beatles, that I had a fa fairly good chance of um, collecting people together to, to try to be aware of you know, the depletion of our planet and how we were basically uh, self-indulging ourselves to extinction. And so I used the word drop to uh, as the theme of my uh, environmental organization, and mm. I used the word drop to say determined to restore our planet. Oh, and, wow. Uh, Beautiful. And from that, I also had a theme where I have a movie, which I'm going to be talking to some people in California about an environmental movie that I worked on for about, well, 20 years so far. <laughs> wow. You know, the, uh, the, there's a, a saying in the book that you say, uh, honesty, thy name is Harrison. And, <laughs> yeah. and well, I mean, it, it, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not to bring this part of the interview down, but you, you're very candid in this book. I, I won't go into everything, but there is a, uh, a chapter. Um, and, and please, people, don't think it's a very, I mean, it is a very serious chapter, and you do state that. It's called "I Never Met a Hormone I Could Trust," but yeah. <laughs> and I, and I you know I don't want to get into well I mean it's a very uh, to be quite frank you know Louise prefaces the whole chapter by saying please take this if anything take this chapter seriously right, uh, right. which I found very refreshing because the book in general is is very light it's very Monty Python ish uh, you know you there's you know the chapter about your brother actually one of the chapters you know he's arrived and to prove that he's here <laughs> uh, which is Ruddles which is Ruddles uh, Louise's been speaking to Neil Innes lately well, have you there is a picture of, of Louise with Neil but that's great um, why did you feel the need to be you know this could have been a a very light-hearted book uh, about you your family and then obviously your kid brother but you chose to be very candid well, we always have been. In fact, one of the things that my band worry about whenever we're going, when we're traveling, you know, and going through uh, security at the airports, they're always scared to death about what I'm going to say next. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I make comments sometimes about, boy, you know, old uh, uh, Osama bin Laden would be thrilled to realize just what success he's had by disrupting oh. <laughs> the whole. <laughs> you know, the way we all travel now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and my band say, shh, don't say anything. And they'll put us all in jail, you know. Well, but yeah. that's always been, and, and hey, George was that way too, you know, very, very um, upfront about what he thought. And again, that, and my parents too. But the thing is, we don't say what we think in order to say that that's what everybody else has got to think. We say what we think because that's what we think, and it's up to everybody else to make up their own minds if they agree or if don't agree, you know. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. L- Louise, last year I, I took a tour of Liverpool and I did the National Trust tour and I did it also the Magical Mystery tour. And they take you to you know the houses. I I, I see John's oh, yeah. house. I see Paul's house. I get to I guess the house you grew up in. And I'm like, how did how did everyone fit in this little house? <laughs> I mean, it was <laughs> tiny. And then we were yeah, told that that your 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 family uh, had a, like a sitting room in the front, so you weren't allowed to sit in there. So the house even became smaller. Smaller, well, yeah. <laughs> how how did all of you fit into this little house? And not to mention that, but Louise, you may want to also talk about the fact that not only did the family fit in there, but after some the family members were gone, there were fans fitting in there too from yeah. time to time. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, actually, by the time the fans came along, we would moved into a different house. Right. Right. It's a larger house out more. Out um, was, we were at Upton Green, and then we were at uh, another place. I can't remember what that was called. But um, so that house was only where George was born. It wasn't where he was when he was a Beatle. So when when the Beatles fans used to come around searching for a Beatle, it was a different house that they would come to. Right. The, the one, you know, the one in uh, Hale. Uh, and so that was big enough to invite people in, and Mum would give them cups of tea or cups of cocoa or whatever, you know. Have you been on any of those uh, tours of Liverpool? I mean, I know you... No. (laughs) I'm sure you can probably give a tour. I was going to say... Somebody to take me on a tour of Liverpool. I know my way around. (laughs) (laughs) What what, what are your memories of the Cavern Club? The Beatles play there so often. It it seemed like a hell of a... Well, I only... Yeah, I only ever went there after the Beatles became Beatles. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, I never was there before that. So, uh, but, you know, it was it was just uh, kind of a creepy old place <laughs> when I was there. And I guess I was there just before they tore it down and built a new one. Oh, okay. That's, that's later on. Yeah. Now, yeah. recently, Louise, uh, we were yeah. delighted to see that... that uh, uh, Brian Epstein was uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and d- did you have the opportunity to really meet and and deal with Brian? And what was your relationship like with, oh, heck with yeah. Brian? Well, I, I wrote to him every week for about six months until we started making phone calls. Right, right, yeah. And so, in, in an effort to get the guys uh, airplay or get them signed, or how you just let the fan, yeah. you know. Well, well, you see, the thing was. Uh, Brian wrote a book about himself called The Cellar Full of Noise. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he admits, you know, that he was like a failure to his father. And it was his father said to him, okay, um, you're obviously not going to be able to get a job with somebody else, so I'll give you a job in my store, you know, <laughs> and put him in charge of the record department. Well, when they first, you know, it was purely accidental that he that the guys came into his store looking for Beatle records and he said, okay, well, there's so many people asking for these records and he went ahead and ordered a couple of hundred of them and, of course, they sold out in a few minutes. So, you know, that set him on his career. But the thing was, he didn't know anything about the United States, the music market there. And, uh, you know, he was doing very, very well in Britain because everybody wanted to, to have the Beatles, you know, on their TV shows and, um, you know, play, playing at their different uh, dance halls and everything. So, you know, he was very, very successful, but he didn't know anything about the United States. And of course, in Britain, as long as you get your stuff played on the BBC, you're in. Right. You don't need anything else. But in this country, back then, there were about 6,000 independent radio stations. I know there's much more than that now. But there were 6,000 radio stations, and there were very, very few of them, except maybe, you know, like Winds in New York and WBC in Boston, that had any kind of a reach, other than maybe, you know, maybe 50 miles radius from wherever the station was. So it was a whole different thing trying to get records played in this country. And one of the things I did was I started getting the billboard and cash box and the variety magazines in order to research the market. And uh, then I started writing to Brian every week and telling him all about how the music business operates in this country. And I explained to him that the um, in order to get stuff played on the radio, you needed to have uh, either a very, very powerful record company and I said, I told him that the three major ones were Capital, Columbia, and RCA. And if you needed somebody with a lot of clout, 
to you know to get your records played. Because back in those days, it was payola was going on. You know, sure. yeah. walk, you walk in with a Porsche, they play your record. You know, <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, I was explaining all that to him, and. I, uh, my husband was—he uh, he was noticing too that I was getting frustrated because, as I, back in those days, again, um, all you guys were uh, known as uh, male chauvinist pigs, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I was getting the look down the, the noses at me. I, why aren't you at home uh, ironing your husband's shirts? That kind of look, you know. Wow. And wow. so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was what I was going to do. And so my husband had suggested, says, why don't you ask Brian to, you know, say that you're the uh, American representative, something like that, so that instead of going in and saying, this is my kid brother's band, I could go in and say, I'm the representative of this musical group in Britain. You know, it would have mean put me on a higher level Sure. instead of just being this kid brother's sister. And so anyway, I wrote to, to uh, Brian, and he just wrote a really snooty letter back to me, like, oh, I'm associated with some very, very uh, important people, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I didn't, I didn't let that worry me. I thought, well, okay, even if I'm not official, I'm still his sister, you know, and I'm still going to keep trying. And then it was funny because a few weeks later, after that snooty letter, um, I'd written to him about something to do with the VJ label, and he... I guess I have another letter then saying, oh, I've read everything you say very, very carefully, and uh, I'm now going to change the, the uh, you know, the next single is not going out on VJ and all this kind of stuff, you know. And he was also sending me all the uh, records of all his other groups and saying, you know, see what you can do with these. Wow. So, I mean, he was, oh, yeah. And I've got those letters. They're in the book. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So I'm not picking it up. You know, that's what was really happening. Well, you, you might not have been an official ambassador. But he knew the power of of you know what you could <laughs> what you could do. With it. You bet, yeah, you absolutely. Because there again, you know, my dad had always said, you know, if you make up your mind to do something, just keep on, never, never, never give up. Right. And right. you know, just because somebody tells you you should be home ironing your husband's shirts doesn't mean that you're not going to keep on coming back. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so much in this book that we haven't talked about, but that's okay because we want people to go out and buy it because Absolutely. there's a whole bunch about George's illness on the Sullivan show all about you um, and you know your nickname of lightning and and the all about the Beatles LP and your dealings with Bangladesh but you know I want to just bring up one more thing um, we just passed uh, a you know an anniversary 13th anniversary of George's exiting from this material world um, oh, that's true, yes. and you know you there's a beautiful story that you relay in the book uh, about your, you know, pretty much your last visit with George and your mom's um, story of, or at least words of, let's see what's around the corner. Uh, I yeah. just found it beautiful. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, when we... <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh just thinking about it. <laughs> we used to go on vacation every year. Dad would get two weeks paid vacation, and you know, because he was a, drove the bus, and we would he would always rent a cottage somewhere, you know, in Wales or southern England or somewhere where there was um, castles and ruins and things like that. So we we travelled all over Britain, you know, each year, and. One time we were, I think it was in Landudno in northern uh, Wales, and Mum says, uh, "Oh, look at this! There's this great big, huge outcropping rock that goes into the goes into the sea there, and there's like a pathway around it." And so she says, "Oh, okay, let's go and look and see what's around this corner." And so we set off around the corner, and four hours later. We came out the other end of this big rock <laughs> that had jutted out into the sea, and so we were—we hadn't had anything to eat. You know, we didn't know it was going to take us four hours to get round that corner. And of course, it wasn't just one corner; it was like corner after corner after corner. It was a wonderful experience, but we were all so hungry by the time we got round the final corner and found civilization again. And so, when whenever we would go you know, on vacation after that, Mum would, again, she would see something interesting, say, oh, let's go and see what's around. And then we'd, we'd all say, oh, no, no, Mum, please, not around any other corner. <laughs> and so I just found it really wild that George said that to you. Uh, 
pretty yeah. much your last time you saw him. That's right. When when we were sitting talking, we were just remembering things. Yeah, yeah and he said to me, "Let's see what's around the corner." We just hmm. both burst out laughing. You know? <laughs> well, uh, Rob, go ahead, Rob. Uh, Louise, I don't want to ask. Got to keep on. You have to keep on going around corners as you Absolutely. go through life, though, don't you? Yeah, Absolutely. when you go through life, if you, and if you never looked to see what was around the corner, you wouldn't have a very much fun life. No, you'd be standing <laughs> still forever. <laughs> uh, Louise, I don't want to ask you what your favorite uh, song of uh, your brother's is, but which one reminds well, it's you? Gear down. It's gear uh, down. But wow, this, is that the one that reminds you most of your brother? Yeah, because, you know, when I, when I would get excited about something, he would uh, sort of look at me like, uh, you know, curb your enthusiasm sort of thing, you know, wow. calm down a bit. <laughs> wow. So I've often thought that but when, you know, when I've heard that song, I thought, okay, well, I need to cheer down now, you know. A little nod to Big Sister on that one, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, the great, the great thing about this, and we were talking about family earlier, is that to me now... Um, you know, after 50 years of this whole Beatle thing, uh, I now have what I call my global family of Beatle people. Yes. And uh, mo- a lot of people consider me as the global mum. Uh, in fact, my nickname is the flying mum. Because <laughs> uh, I'm constantly, sometimes I feel like I'm up in the air more than I'm on the ground. <laughs> and in fact, next week I'm going to be flying out to California again. But, uh, you know, it, to me now it's wonderful because all of these people, and again, it goes back to the thing about all, all having that same drop of the ocean, that we are all really one family. And I really feel that because, you know, all of the Beatles fans that I meet, it's really wonderful because because of my brother and because of, you know, what he did and how he was, people always greet me with a smile. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really great because... You know, I really feel like, okay, this is wonderful to be the mum of this family because they're all friendly. And again, it's it's funny, too, because it's very, very seldom that I ever meet anybody that's, that's uh, you know, anti-Beatles or doesn't like the Beatles. And invariably, if I meet somebody like that, I find out that they're really sour about everything in life. They're very, very negative people. Yeah. So they're Stones like we, fans. We gathered all the positive ones into the Beatles family. <laughs> Well, the rest of them became Stones fans, as Rob yeah. just pointed out. There we go. So, no, 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 no. I, I don't believe in that one. Because it was, George, it was George who got the Stones list yep. recording contract. Absolutely. Right. Yep, absolutely. So the book is called My Kid Brother's Band, a.k.a. The Beatles, uh, on acclaimed press in Barnes & Noble and on the Internet. Louise, if, uh, I know you're dealing with uh, Marty Scott, your substitute brother. Oh, yes. And yes. Uh, the Liverpool yes, Legends. Wonderful. So yes. how how do people get in touch with Louise Harrison if they want to? Well, right now I don't have an email address, but I will be getting one at the beginning of January. But they can get through to me through liverpoollegends.com. Great. But now in, in January, uh, right now I'm in the process of um, incorporating the non-profit in, uh, corporation in order to uh, continue the work that we've been doing with the band, going to high schools and helping raise money for yes. the high school music departments. Fantastic so, program. Yeah, and so that's going to be, we will, in by January, we will have a website which is, will be called helpkeepmusiclive.org. Help keep so music alive. Have that, yeah. in January. Yeah. Excellent. So if Excellent. if you want, but by then, if you you know get in touch with me again once I'm in in uh, California, and I'll give you all that information so that we can you know get people to come, and we're you know we're going to be looking for donations. We will have uh, a thing where people can send donations and get receipts in order to help us because. Uh, when the, the last couple of years that we've been doing help keep music alive, um, it, it's we haven't had any kind of funding, and so we're not able to raise as much money as we like because it costs a lot for us to travel and do the shows. You know, so uh, if we get some seed money to do those kind of things, we'll be able to make a lot more money for the schools, and that's, that's what great. we really want to be able to do. Well, yeah. we hope to see you when you're in the New York area, Louise, certainly, and we are, of course, going to provide um, links to the site and to your book on our website because we would certainly want to help in any way we can right uh, because it's a wonderful wonderful um endeavor uh, that you're you're going on to um bring programs to to the schools so yeah 
Well, the thing is that, you know, it, it's been such a very privileged position that I've been in in life because of my kid brother, where I have had the opportunity to be able to, to speak out and encourage people to do things, you know, like the environment. And who knows, I might be able to get that environmental movie made eventually. It's called The Time Is Now. <laughs> wow. You know, you, you, have a, you definitely have a, a strong family behind you. As you said, the Beatle family are all with you. Yes. And, and that's something that uh, the, the Beatles and George was always part of. And it just continues on from the nothing's going to change our world idea, too. Uh, yeah. You know, so uh, so I want to thank you so much. Yeah, Louise, this has been Louise, great. We this really has been appreciate wonderful. it. And uh, we're going to, again, provide links to the book and to all of the information. And, uh, Louise, thank you so much. Liverpool Legends, yeah. Absolutely. Liverpool Legends.com. Scott and the guys are great. Yeah. Yeah, you can actually email email Louise at Liverpool Legends, and that will get to me. Uh, Once I get into uh, California, beginning of January, I will have office. uh, There's a really, really nice gentleman there who actually invented something called the MIDI. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, wow. and uh, he's offered me office space in his office, so I'll have a, and it's it's a really good, um, huge office, and it's also got, you know, the, what would you call it, uh, international conferencing, you know, where I can do Skype, so I can do TV and radio and everything right from my, the conference room at the office. Yeah, that's Fantastic. great. Well, we'll that's get great. to you again then. So again, yeah. the, the book is My Kid Brother's Band, a.k.a. The Beatles, would make a great holiday gift. Everybody go out and get it. Will it be released digitally for, uh, you know, audio-wise or any other way other than physical? To do what? Will it be released like in audio book form at some point or <laughs> digitally? If I ever get time. <laughs> if I ever <laughs> get e-book? time to be able to do it. Yeah, I certainly would like to make an audio one because uh, back early years ago, I used to do uh, recording books for the blind. Yeah I, yeah, I I did quite a few of those because for some reason people seem to like my my accent or my voice. Oh, absolutely. Or something. <laughs> and, well, well, if you get to New York, Louise, you got at least the two of us here who are radio engineers who'd be happy to engineer and produce Definitely. a book for you, without a okay. doubt. So, <laughs> okay. studios. So, thank you so much, and uh, we will talk to you real soon. We will talk to you soon, and, and moderating this episode of of Fab uh, Fab Four Free for All has been Mitch Axelrod, and, and joining me has been. Tony Chiguano and Rob Leonard and, and Louise Harrison thanks so much Louise we'll talk to you soon happy holidays okay thank okay. you Louise thank you very much it was uh, a lot of fun it was like having my three brothers with me again oh, oh that's very nice bless thank you. you very much you take care <laughs> okay cheerio right, cheerio bye you're down indeed <laughs> Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury New York the opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All. <laughs>